Greetings, everybody. Welcome to Flywheel, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, well, you've come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K, and we are here to help you harness the power of the Flywheel. And talking about a culture Flywheel that's spun into a whole chain Flywheel, which now has sprout in an ecosystem Flywheel, we just had on Smokey from Bear Chain. This is one hell of a pod. We go over everything from the lore of Bear Chain, how proof of liquidity works, how Polaris works, uh, how they built their entire ecosystem from not just like a technical perspective, but from a BD perspective. Uh, this is really a tweet tr treat. Uh, and this is really something uh, that you'd want to stay till the end of the show for uh, certain information. Uh, Kit, what are your thoughts on this one? Man. I think this was a long time coming and you guys can see yeah. that Dave and I were super excited to do this pod and we feel like this could be a really evergreen thing because we yeah. talked about the lore and the basics. So I'm very excited yeah. for you guys to get into it. A year and a half in the making folks, you know, this is a treat. This was a fun one. So without further ado, here's the pod. But before we go to that, make sure you go ahead, hit that bell button. You like, you subscribe, leave us a comment. Let us know what you think on YouTube. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter, TikTok, and Telegram at FlywheelDeFi. Go to our website right now, FlywheelDeFi.com, and subscribe for all the latest tracks in DeFi Alpha. You'll thank yourself later. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at DeFiDave22. You can follow me at 0xCapital underscore K. And let's get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, Frax ETH is there for you. Frax ETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into Frax ETH today. All right, everyone. Welcome to Flywheel. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here as always with Capital K. And this time around, we have a podcast that has been quite literally a year and a half in the making. Ever since 0xD24, Mensch did a whole little segment on his pod about the secrets of Barachain back in the fall, summer of 2022. And I'll never forget, Smokey, you hit me up after that pod and you're like, hey, that was a great segment. Why don't you, why don't we hop on a call? I'm like, sure. And then that later that night, me and Rodney somehow linked up and he was like, hey, I'm going to meet the Barachain boys. You want to come? And I'm like, yeah, bet. And then the, that night we were in New York we brought our plane tickets. We were on our way to Toronto. And that's and the next day, I met you guys for the first time. You, Papa, <laughs> Dev, and then we ended up having a night. And uh, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I will leave it at that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And I will leave it at that. And then, you know, it's funny. From that from that meeting, uh, Hack, that was, was that the first time you guys met Hack? Yeah, so we had talked to them, like, I think really briefly before that, not much at all. Um, but then that was, I think, them, you know, sort of leaning in a little bit. And then Rodney was like, okay, let's pull up. And then, I, you know, I think he and you ended up chatting. And we're like, wait, we're, we're both trying to talk to these guys. Let's say what's good. And yeah. uh, uh, it's been a beautiful thing ever since, man. Uh, it, was, yeah. it was a lot of fun. And then we just run into <laughs> each other at, you know, pretty much every major event around the world in the interim. Yeah, pretty much running into events, uh, sponsoring events, and uh, hosting, also stuff. hosting stuff together. Also, uh, thank you for sponsoring Dave. That was of huge. That was, a, that was a great time. And, you know, hope to do many more in the future. Fuck yeah, man. It's been yeah. an absolute pleasure. And I'm sure that the good times will continue rolling. And then I ran yeah. into Kid a couple of times across Asia tour. So I'm sure that will happen yeah, more maybe. down the road as well. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. We'll keep rolling. This podcast has been a long time in, in the making. The Barachain podcast. We've been trying to get this together for a while. And here it is. We're about to go deep into Barachain at all different levels, from the consensus level to the to the application level, to the social level, we're going to cover it all in this one. So to, to start, the lore level, to the lore level, <laughs> and that's to the lore, and that's exactly where I'm going to start. So Smokey, what is the lore behind Barachain? What is the origin myth? How did it come <laughs> to be? How did you go from pictures of bears smoking weed to entire new L1? <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> That's a great question, man. I sometimes ask myself this one too. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's been a fun path. I think that, you know, like backdrop slash context, myself, my co-founder, Papa, had been in and out of crypto since like, you know, 2015, 2016. Um, when I was building my first company, one of my early investors was pretty involved slash pretty high up at the ETH Foundation. And, um, you know, being in the barrier at the time, I think you see enough smart people moving in a given direction. You're like, oh shit, like, you know, either I'm stupid um, and, you know, like all these guys are doing the right thing or they're stupid and I'm right. And then I'm, I often bet on my own stupidity. I'll say this all the time. Um, so I was like, yeah, I should probably, you know, actually pay attention to this. Um, so it was like paying attention during like, you know, the, the earlier ish days of Bitcoin and then shitcoin season. Um, and then paying more attention, um, through, you know, a good friend DCF, um, who's like an IRL, IRL friend and, you know, prominent Twitter and on, um, who's like, you know, you should, you should take a look at this and see what's going on over here. And, uh, and then I started paying more attention, I guess, in 2019, 2020 as, you know, Curve, Alchemix, uh, and then eventually the Ohm, Frax, Al you know, DeFi 2.0 ecosystems really started getting off the ground. Um, and that's when, you know, stuff started getting a lot more exciting. We were hanging out a bunch in these different DeFi discords. Um, and I think uh, at some point in, in mid-2021, uh, Parallel NFT came out, like when it was just like, you know, super early days, even prior to, you know, the whole game and, you know, the AI angle, the colony stuff, all the stuff they're doing nowadays. And I was like, wow, this is like super cool. Like, you know, magically gathering Hearthstone-esque kind of vibe on chain, really well done, like high production value, et cetera, was a, a cut above a lot above a lot of the stuff that we had seen. And Pop and I had been like spending a lot of time in like these different DeFi discords and we just made, made friends, had fun in those communities. Um, even like, you know, sort of like the Frax community and adjacent places. Um, and we were just like, you know, it'd be kind of funny if we made some NFTs just like for shits and gigs to see what happens, right? Like who knows exactly where this will go, but it could be fun to see where it, where it takes us. Um, so we decided to make a hundred NFTs of bear smoking weed. Um, there wasn't really any like, you know, uh, aha moment behind that. We're just like, you know, bear smoking weed is kind of funny. Um, and that was, <laughs> that was really the, the impetus there. Uh, I wish I could say there was some like giga brain vision. There really wasn't. We just thought bear smoking weed were funny. Um, and I accidentally uploaded one of them twice, which is why there actually ended up being 101 bears, like original bears in the first batch as opposed to like, ah, as opposed to 100 exactly. Or rare duplicate, or as we call it, the glitch bill that, that spawned its own lore of sorts. Um, and then there were a couple of honorees for some close friends. And then we were just sort of off to the races. So we raffled them off in like the Olympus Discord and a couple other places. Uh, and ended up with this like, you know, community of like, close to 100 holders because some people bought multiple. Um, and it was interesting because you had, you know, uh, this group of folks who were in many cases very DeFi minded or was thinking about funky DeFi shit, but were also like risk on enough and like demented enough to think that it was a good idea to buy, you know, NFTs of bear smoking weed. Um, so that was sort of, you know, how it first came to be. And then over time, you know, we just talked to more people. We saw the problems they were facing as they, you know, navigated their on-chain lives, if you will. Um, and we thought to ourselves a lot, like, you know, how do we, how do we push the envelope here a little bit? 
Um, I think Pop and I have both always been builders and are like, you know, founders by nature. We're, we're not very good at being employed. Um, and I think that, you know, with that on the, on the back end, we're like, okay, what's something funky we can do with this? And we're like, okay, why don't we, you know, employ a, 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 like a familiar rebasing mechanism. Let's have these, you know, expand, these collections expand over time, right? Instead of just having a, you know, standard at the time, 10,000, you know, 10K profile picture drop kind of thing. Um, and then we made the, you know, the, the bong bears rebase into like the bond bears or like James Bond themes, uh, with a slightly larger collection size. And then again, into the boo bears that are Halloween themed. Then again, into the baby bears, they're like Christmas slash boxing day themed. And then band bears. Cause we used to have like rap nights in the discord every now and then where people would try to freestyle horribly. It was, it was really like, it was, it was cursed. Um, <laughs> and then, and then there was, uh, the bit bears after that. It's like we, you know, there were eight bit bears made in, in collaboration with some community members. So we just like sort of went in all different angles. And along the way, I think we found that we were just growing this community base that had um, interesting ideas and interesting problems to solve. Uh, and we decided to sort of like, you know, try to put two and two together and, and build something that um, actually addressed some issues that we saw. Uh, because I think we've seen for so long in crypto, the, the dominant narrative for building L1s or infrastructure to be, you know, there's a professor at a, at a given university who comes up with a, you know, funky new consensus algorithm, um, you know, or, or some, you know, new scaling technology, right. what have you. And they're like, yeah, this, like people want this. I'm sure of it. And maybe sometimes they do, but like nine out of 10 times it's, it's attempting to, to build a narrative around something that doesn't necessarily have like a degree of, of market demand or PMF, but theoretically makes sense. I think in our case, we sort of built a community first, then use that to pathfind our way towards what a good product should look like. Um, and that was sort of how, you know, Bong Bearer NFT turned into Verachain, um, which is, you know, an L1 that's, you know, more than anything else focused on turning liquidity into security at the protocol level. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, sort of what brings me to, to this place uh, today, along with a number of other wacky ones. It's wow. really interesting. You basically had a filtering mechanism for super degen users on chain who were crazy enough to buy a bear smoking weed NFT while also being incredibly sophisticated in their strategies. And you basically just talked to them and heard their problems, saw their, heard their pay points and were like, hey, we can actually make a better chain just from yeah. listening to them, hearing their problems and then growing the community. And this is really interesting. You were community first from the get go. From yeah, the very start. And from there, you're like, okay, let's turn this into a chain. Yeah, you got it, man. I think it was like, um, I, I just, I think it's really interesting to see from, especially from a developer angle, as, as someone who themselves is not like very technical beyond, uh, you know, sometimes saying the right words. Um, I, I feel it's, that. It's interesting to see, like, <laughs> you know, I, I know enough to get by, but I definitely don't know enough to keep up as I'd like to. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think it's really easy to see developers like build in a little bit of a black box, right? And, and not actually mm -hmm. end up talking to the end user just because it can be distracting at some points. It can be, you know, easy to just forget that there's like a light at the end of the tunnel there. Um, and as a result, you know, like, I think that for us having that feedback and that close knit, uh, tie set of ties with our community, um, really took us a long way because what's also kind of, you know, wild and, and exciting to see is that like these guys have just like, uh, they, they've waited slash been there over the span of the last couple of years as we've, as we've built everything out. Right. Um, they're like beyond bonded by like price action there. It's, it's like a, it's almost like frat hazing. Like they're, they're just like, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they're trauma bonded, but like they've, they've been together for a long time and there's like actual like networks that formed out of that. 
Um, and I do think that in many cases, the, the largest product that crypto can offer at times is actually that community slash social angle, um, which is interesting to see here at the intersection of NFTs and infra to start, right? Um, and I do think that, you know, there's many more things that can be offered beyond, beyond that. And, you know, I think stable coins are one of those things that's really cool. I think that, you know, on-chain financialization, as you guys think a lot about, is very cool. Um, but I think that we just, uh, we, we try to pursue it from, from all angles in that sense. Yeah. Um, and what you have really done a masterclass in is fostering community. Like you said, you developed this community that is with, with each other through thick and thin through the highs and lows. Um, and that's not, that's not easy, especially in an industry that constantly chases trends that constantly chases the new fad to have people that are loyal and say, that's truly a testament to you guys. And I'm wondering if you have any tips out there for founders of, you know, whether it's L1 ecosystems, rollups or protocols themselves, or even a bear chain protocols that are listening to this right now, what are some tips you have uh, for fostering community? Yeah, it's a good question, man. I've gotten it a bunch and I've tried to like go back and, and, you know, I guess think to what we did right or what we didn't do right. Um, I think a lot of it is like trying to be authentic uh, as corny as that sounds or as like perhaps obvious as that sounds. Like, I think a lot of people are like, Oh, you got like wag me, wag me, like wag me community, best thing ever. And I think that's bullshit. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of it does come down to on one hand, seeding the community from the right places initially, initially and making sure those seeds that effectively like plant the culture um, or start it so like, proliferation are, are like good ones, right? You want good eggs in your community nice and early um, because they really will inform how other people, you know, grow. It's, it's like an exponential effect there. Um, so I think that, that was a big part of it. And then actually like spending the time, right. And I, I regret that I haven't done this as much over the last like year or so as time has gone more and more into building the ecosystem and to actually building the team at the foundation and like boots on the ground per se. Um, but I think that, you know, in the early days we spent a, a whole bunch of time just like in discord slash voice chat with these guys, dev would play Warzone with them and stuff. Like there was, uh, there was their hour, hours logged there. Right. So you get to hear people's life stories a little bit. Um, and you get this effect where, um, that I, I guess that like, came to mind earlier today where you, you get your own set of like social nodes in the community, right? You get folks mm. who bring in their own friends, you get folks who form their own lore, you get folks who do their own thing um, without you necessarily having to, to, to build it yourself. It's, but I think it's more about just helping to curate the right people uh, and helping to plant the, the seeds that can like uh, allow people to, to build their own like worlds within that larger community, right? So I think that that's been one of the most interesting things to see as well, just from like a, a social theory, psychology, whatever it is, point of view. Um, and I find fascinating from like the, the point of view of someone who is always on the absolute opposite end of the table, table, right? Like I was a scientist slash, and then like a VC by training. Like I wasn't like a, you know, social, like, a, so, like, you know, someone who understands like, you know, social modeling, uh, you know, very well, but then it's just like, okay, cool. This is how like some of these network effects spread within a controlled group. So yeah, super fun to see. I, I think Smokey, like the reason why you guys were able to cultivate such a community is because in the early days of, you know, Vera, you guys started as like an NFT collection, which in its, itself, the product is the community. So you Completely. guys treated it like a startup, right? In the beginning, yeah. you don't just hire anybody onto your startup because you know that's going to define your culture throughout. And because you guys were so kind of meticulous at choosing the community from the beginning and that the community was the product before the Barra chain product, you were able to devote a lot more hours and times into cultivating this super long lasting, like I want to call it almost like an asset, right? Yeah. This is an absolute asset to the, the Barra chain ecosystem. And I, I thought that was like super cool. And throughout the Bear 
like you know throughout building did you guys do anything else in the discord to kind of keep them going like were there like certain events that you would do like what what are some tactical things that you can give our listeners here <laughs> Yo, I think this is a, this is an interesting one because I think I've seen a lot of people try to do different things here, and we even you know threw a couple things at the wall at some point. Um, but I don't think like the the poker games, or, like meme contests or stuff like that, work. Uh, I, I honestly mm-hmm. think it's just about finding people that like people actually want to hang out with or who are entertaining to to you know interact with. I think it's the same way that some of these alpha groups or whatever have a very like social vibe to them, right? Or like TG like small TG alpha chats and whatnot. It's actually just like, can you find people who are like both constructive and entertaining to interact with? Um, because I think a lot of the other stuff ends up being forced or looking at like some sort of weird incentive mm-hmm. for us. I, th- I just think we found like a group of folks who was just like, <laughs> who had seen shit go up, who had seen shit go down and who were autistic as fuck. And we're just like, you know, like diehard there because they were there, if you will. Right. Um, so I think that a lot of it just came down to finding the right type of folks who were just like, you know, who are capable of, of switching to some extent, right? Who can be serious and who can engage in a meaningful discussion around proof of liquidity, around, you know, what the future of DeFi could look like, yada, 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 but could also just, like, start posting hentai in the chat. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the, the duality of, of bear kind of thing. Um, These are really did go a long way. Some well-rounded individuals in the bear community, I must yeah. say. <laughs> they, oh, they can yeah. truly do it all. Yeah. Well, and it, it really is yeah. uh, selection over activation. Right. You got and, it. and then I think selection leads to activation. Um, and right, I think that, right. that, like, that really ends up being the flywheel. Oh, we right, love flywheels. Right. If I had a shot right now, I would take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that re- like one thing I always say is that the community is the soul of any project. Without For the sure. soul, there's no life. You can have the best tokenomics in the world. You can have like the most solid consensus, the most solid tech. But if you have no people there to use it, because at the end of the day, the layer zero makes up of people and users. And yeah. if you don't have that, then you have nothing. Yeah, no, I completely agree, man. And um, it's interesting because I think we talk a lot about like the, the blockchain trilemma from a, a pure technical sense. And I think it's important to do so. Um, but I've also thought a lot more about like what a what a blockchain trilemma looks like from like a practical sense in terms of like what a uh, you know an ecosystem needs to succeed. And in most cases, it's it's users, it's developers, and it's capital, right? Um, and I think a lot of ecosystems end up checking two of those boxes, but not the third. Um, and it's pretty interesting to see, you know, what can be done to actually end up, you know, tackling those all in parallel. And I do think that the community, if effectively curated and engaged, can end up being uh, the base of actually building that triangle. I really like that. Users, developers, and capital. That is yeah, the tri- and it, yeah. It's the same thing, like, when we talk to investors or when we talk to folks who want to find some way to get involved in Vera, um, I often tell them that those are the three things I think about most because they do tend to be the, the ingredients to informing sentiment, Right. Um, it is, you know, how much are people talking about you and, or how engaged and how happy are they, you know, what kind of cool stuff are they building and is there actual capital fueling it or, or helping to get it off the ground? And if you check all those boxes, you, you tend to move, you know, in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Got it. Um, I want to jump on. in real quick. Oh, yeah, go ahead, to go ask ahead, go this is one quick question because you know, um, Smokey brought up investors, and for a project that raised at four hundred twenty point sixty nine million, uh, I, I just I, I gotta ask, like, how was it like being in this room with like some some sometimes super serious folks and sometimes obviously more crypto native funds, and then <laughs> you guys come as you like you know how how was that fundraising yeah. experience? And you guys did it in the bear in the bear. So, 
I think it was entertaining, man. Um, as someone who's like been in the VC seat before, uh, and who's, I guess, like, you know, been a founder before and in, uh, you know, the biotech space, which tends to have like uh, a rough go, I think when it comes to capital acquisition, um, it was really entertaining because I think that like most VCs are not, I think that broadly the crypto VC market is also a little bit less mature than a number of the other ones. Right. Um, you know, in the classic web two side of things or, you know, classic tech, whatever you want to call it. And as a result, you know, a, I don't think VCs are used to kind of like being called out or pressure flipped or like having people run a tight process. B, I don't think they're used to do having it done to them by like anonymous, they're smoking weed dudes who like, you know, did not pull up with a pitch deck. And so like, I think, that, I think that the degree of like, what the fuck is happening right now that some of those guys experienced is probably pretty, pretty entertaining. Um, and I think for us is more just like, okay, we are, we're confident in what we know. We are, we know how to run a process. We know what our product is. Um, we know why this has value, um, or why this is worth investing in. And, you know, we're going to do our thing. Um, so it was definitely, it was definitely entertaining. And I, I bet it will be even more entertaining down the road. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just imagining the investment memos that must have gone through the, you know, investment committee who then now you had to explain to your LPs <laughs> on why we, you guys just yeeted a couple millions into some, some bong smoking bears. <laughs> oh dude, no, no, the funniest one, the funniest one is that ledger prime, um, bought a bong bear, um, like on their, like through their, through their, I guess like corporate accounts or whatever before they blew up. Uh, like when FTX like rubbed and, uh -huh. and then, you know, like they were like a large LP or a major LP. Uh, and then I was at a dinner in, in March in Denver and people were talking, like they were like going around the table and they're like, yeah, like, you know, tell me about like your craziest, or, like your most like exotic bet kind of thing. And then a few people were like, yeah, I, I bought these JPEGs of bear smoking weed as like an attempt to like, you know, to play like bear chain and I was losing my shit. And then Shilang from, from Leisure Prime was like, yeah, like FTX is actually an ownership of this bear now. And I was losing my shit, man. So we call it one bankruptcy bear, but like there's a, there's a BK lot of good bear. shit in there. The you bankruptcy bear. You it's got fate. it. It's fate to be decided soon. Absolute funniest yeah. stuff. <laughs> best timeline, honestly, best timeline. Yeah, truly the spice of life. Uh, now, I want to move on from the community to talk about proof of liquidity, which is really, you know, the the capstone of of Bear Chain. And when I when I was looking to proof of liquidity, the, and the thing that always came up, something that always comes up on our podcast is cost of capital. Stable coins, projects, they always cost about, they always talk about it's so expensive to have liquidity. You know, we have to play all these different games. But you guys basically solved it by putting it right into the chain and it being part of the consensus. And actually for any project that wants to access capital at a subsidized, in a subsidized manner, they can just hop over to Barrachain to do so. So let's get into proof of liquidity. What is it and how does it work? Yeah, for sure. So proof of liquidity is a civil resistance mechanism um, that basically, you know, is, is the heart and soul of Barrachain. Um, it's a variant of delegated proof of stake, so it's definitely not too, too crazy and, and should be very familiar from like a, a user interface and, or, you know, validator interaction point of view. Um, but the way the POL, as we call it, a proof of liquidity actually works is that the only way to earn the native staking slash governance token of the chain, which is called BGT or the bear governance token, is by first doing the work of providing liquidity to the ecosystem, you know, hence proof of liquidity. Um, so the way that that works is that bear chain itself is a fully EVM compatible L1. It's built on the Cosmos SDK, but very EVM front facing. Um, and effectively has a couple of DeFi apps or DeFi primitives enshrined into the chain itself at the base layer, right? So there is a ambient liquidity DEX, 
there is a perpetual futures vault and there is a stable coin lending market that allows you to you know basically borrow this the, the stablest coin of the ecosystem which is one-to-one collateralized by usdc um so you know the way that this works is basically the only way to generate the the staking token of the network bgt is by first doing the work of providing liquidity to either you know some of the pools on the decks you know the collateral vault for the perps uh, or by you know borrows on on the lending market um so with that you know it's basically it's it's basically trying to enforce a social or economic contract that in order for a user to be able to have influence in the chain itself they have to have first provided something of value to the ecosystem in this case in the form of liquidity um and what gets much more interesting about this over time as i see it is that while it starts with those you know three contracts that i mentioned um or three primitives over time that can really extend to any application on the chain uh, and that's where I think like the crazy unlock comes for proof of liquidity, um, because any contract that effectively you know is uh, is voted in via governance can become part of the set of gauges or the set of eligible you know uh, effectively smart contracts for emissions from the network itself. So you could be building a options vault, you could be building an NFT AMM, you could be building a social five platform with fees, whatever it is, and you could basically then you know propose a governance vote saying, hey. You know, I'm going to propose uh, that I, pr- I push X amount of my fees or X amount of my emissions to BGT stakers. Uh, and in exchange, I'm going to be eligible for, you know, why I'm going to be eligible for emissions from the from the chain itself. And those emissions are actually determined um, via the validator set on Verichain, which is kind of cool because the first time validators are actually able to, you know, influence the economic incentives or the economic outcomes of the network. Um, it also does a whole bunch to combat stake decentralized uh, stake centralization because you actually have this, you know, fully decentralized validator set each setting its own incentives or its own distribution of rewards that then inform the overall network reward rates across some of these pools. So you can think of it as like each validator having its own gauges or its own set of like, you know, curve slash frac style gauges that then contribute to one like massive, you know, gauge effectively that determines those network emissions. Um, and they each, each founder sets its breakdown of emissions. So it could say, okay, I'm going to push 20% to this pool, 40% of that pool, you know, 30% to this pool, et cetera. Um, and they effectively, you know, uh, they effectively each have their own incentives. So a user that might have a massive, you know, position in a stable pool as an LP might choose to stake their BGT that they've earned with a validator that's in turn, you know, pushing their BGT emissions towards that stable pool as a means of basically, you know, boosting their own yield. Um, so we see just see this as something that gets super exciting from like a game theory slash economic design point of view as well, uh, because it also gives protocols and users the abilities to, you know, support um, that which they are most aligned with, uh, even at a, a network and slash protocol point of view. Um, so yeah, man, in, in, a, in a nutshell, you know, PUL is effectively, you know, turning liquidity into a form of security and helping to power the applications that are living on top of their chain, starting with those three primitives, but eventually ideally turning into, you know, everything else. Um, and I think the, the last part of that puzzle that sort of helps make it whole is that, you know, BGT stakers who are actually securing the network and, and you know, delegating to validators, et cetera, are earning fees from all the different um, primitives or all the different platforms that are being powered by the, the BGT, uh, like, emissions, effectively. And the goal is to basically, you know, try to make that as cash flow positive as, as possible over time. Um, and then the last thing be, be being that at any point in time, people can burn um, their BGT one way into Vera. So they can basically choose between, on one hand, having, you know, influence over the liquidity incentives in the network and influencing, you know, where emissions flow and earning fees from the network itself. Or on the other hand, you know, being fully liquid in the form of Terra and being able to sell whatever they want. So the thing is, like, you cannot market buy BGT. You cannot go mm-hmm. and, you know, like, just grab it on Binance. You have to earn it. It's, a, it's effectively soul bound. 
Yeah, I really like that, honestly. And what is behind the decision to make BGT the way it is? Because, you know, we're on the show, of course, we're familiar with VE tokenomics where people go sure. lock their tokens and there's a time lock. Uh, BGT is just you earn it and there's only a one way street and it's there's no locks. It's just one way street. It's quite simple. Uh, what was the thinking behind that design? Was there any yeah. inspiration for that design? Uh, go ahead. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we, we thought a lot about like these VE systems as well. And, and, you know, I think in earlier implementations, we were going to look to implement something like it. And then, you know, of course, with zero shade on Frax or other VE systems, we were just like, I think that in many cases, it, it, it prolongs an inevitable outcome in some senses. Um, of course, you want people who are incentivized with the network for the longest time. Um, but at the end of the day, you also, you know, if people want to sell, let them sell, right? If people want to buy, you know, make them find a way to, to add value so they can effectively buy. Mm. Um, I think that was very much our thinking around it. Uh, and I think the best systems involve some degree of trade-off. Um, I think that the other part that we very much do keep in mind is the legality of everything that we do, right? Um, BGT is non-transferable. And, and, you know, as part of that, we try to make sure that when considering, you know, different regulations over time, it's as safe as possible in that light. Um, and that also, you know, formed part of our decision there. Um so, yeah, man, I think it was more that, you know, it made sense from an economic trade-offs point of view of like, you know, either you have governance and, and stable fee earning per se, um, or you have, you know, volatile exposures to the token. Um, and, uh, and it also made sense simply from a legality and an overall like sustainability point of view. Yeah. I think this makes sense, especially for a chain to have a system with BGT. Like I feel like VE tokenomics are great for liquidity applications, whether they be Frax or Curve, but for something like a chain, like this is quite novel. Exactly. And, and I think that like, you know, there, there's certainly still epochs on your staking with a validator and stuff. So there'll be times where like, you know, mm -hmm. let's say a validator is receiving bribes and you basically are staked for a, a week, a two week period, whatever it may be. Um, and that's like, you know, I, I guess what you could consider a soft lock, but there's definitely no systems where it's like, okay, I'm like, you know, four year, like VE BGT lock mm -hmm. or something of the sort. Uh, yeah. And we wanted to ensure that it, it wasn't that either. I think that people should very much have preference there, especially as all these different validators have their own incentives. And one may actually want to be able to, you know, work with validator A one week and then delegate to validator B a different week as they look to change their own exposures. Mm -hmm. Got it. And I think, you know, this uh, PLL model imposes almost a economic lock on rather than having a normal VE lock because you could choose to keep on uh, staking and delegating your BGT to earn, like you said, like the yield plus the bribes that's being passed through, or mm -hmm. you could swap it one way into Bera for the liquid trade and sell it, whatever you want. So it is in effect, you created the pseudo lock on it. Yeah. It's like, you know, by natural, the, the law of economics. Now I think it's, the concept sounds great. My one concern is that what happens at Genesis? Because you yeah, can't pre-mine BGT, right? <laughs> so then, <laughs> so everyone like at the beginning is everyone's going to be jamming capital it, it, into this thing as fast as possible to get uh, as much as BGT. What you're doing here. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, you know, absolutely curious. No, like, how are you going question. to protect the chain? You no, know? what if there's a bad actor that comes in and tries to, to take over? You know. No, no, you're totally right, man. That's one of the things that that's most you know worrisome off the bat, um, and we thought a lot about how we can actually make sure this is this is kosher. But the way that this actually starts is like you know the foundation will have effectively a delegation program of sorts, 
um, that will mean that there'll be an initial validator set that has BGT that's helping to set those base, uh, you know, basic incentives as the chain goes live. Um, and then over time, as more and more folks come in, um, it'll be, you know, I think a little bit easier to, to have that be as decentralized as possible. Um, but, you know, to start, we'll try to have a, a relatively fair, flat, proven ground to those validator sets uh, and then let things get, you know, really based on who's bringing the most liquidity in. Yeah, right, proof right. of work, and, proof of liquidity. Yeah, go ahead. And, and, dude, it's funny. Like, um, even like yeah, Cozy from from Premia. When I very when I talked to him very first about this, mm-hmm. he was like, "Oh, this is kind of like proof of work." And I don't think anyone else has like, you know, picked up on like some of the the similarities there before. Uh, and I, I don't think it is necessarily what like the power consumption, et cetera, sense, yeah. but it definitely is in terms of like you know you're you're demonstrating some uh, tangible value or some tangible work having been done in the first place. Yeah. yeah, and just to be clear, there will be no pre-mined BGT, so the governance of Barra Chain is literally up for grabs for anybody to come in and LP. Yeah, well, beyond that, beyond the validator delegations, you got it, right? All the all the you know effectively the emissions slash rewards after that will be will be up for people to grab. Oh, I see. I see. So the foundation is going to initially give BGT to you certain set of validators first, just you to see it, the network. Gotcha. Just exactly, okay. just to turn the, the the network on, because otherwise, as you mentioned, it could get really, really spicy, perhaps to a fault. Right. So yeah. we want to make sure the foundation's as stable as possible to start, and then you know take off the training wheels a little bit. Yeah, I saw well, while doing research for this episode, I saw some threads from this chat. Uh, Dylanus crossed, who yeah. basically at the shout out Dylanus Cross, who at the end of it TLDR, all the value goes back to the user. Uh, yep. Could you explain uh, how that is the case? Yeah, for sure. I think Dylan did a great job on some of his threads there. Um, and I think that it, it probably models, you know, a world or a chain ecosystem where a lot of the value is driven from users and or protocols, um, not to downplay validators, but just because right now in a number of networks, you know, validators are capturing the majority of block rewards and or effects with network submissions. Um Whereas, you know, they are not necessarily building the applications that actually draw people into a new chain ecosystem, right? So over here, I think we've changed the model up a little bit. Um, validators have a ton to gain in terms of working with protocols, in terms of effectively, you know, still taking their commissions, et cetera, uh, and in terms of effectively doing the work of, of securing the network and attracting liquidity and, and figuring out the right set of incentives. Um, but BearChain really is built to attract the best protocols to, you know, build in the most seamless way possible, which in turn, I think, is, is user-facing at the end of the day. Um, and then the users who are LPing in, that pro- in those protocols um, ideally are receiving emissions or fees from that protocol itself. Um, and in many cases, that may also be boosted by, by BGT yields that are being pointed at those pools um, if those protocols chose to, you know, go through the governance process and, you know, work with the validator, get approved, et cetera, right? So um, at the end of the day, I think the whole idea is, you know, can you build an ecosystem that is in service of users? Because at the end of the day, if you don't, like, I don't think the space ever quite moves forward, right? Like, we talk a lot about how you onboard the next million users, and I, I think it's a little bit of a meme, but I think it is very possible to build a great environment for the, you know, current, let's say, 10,000 active to 100,000 that may be active users um, that, that are, you know, actually doing cool stuff on chain, right? And I think that's sort of where we start, and then it can get a lot further over time. Yeah, I remember when we first met in 2022 and after, I just went all in trying to research Bear Chain to see, okay, like what's going on here? And it really had my first aha moment with Cosmos and, you know, proof of this is all possible and proof of liquidity is all possible because of Cosmos, because you're able to enshrine these DeFi primitives in the chain, which allows for this all to come about. You got it, man. And then a lot of like the, you know, validator protocol interaction logic is very much enabled by the Cosmos SDK. Um, and I think that the way we think about it is, 
um, you know, the Cosmos brand is not one that we necessarily try to align with. And I've, I've always been pretty vocal about that just because I think like, <laughs> like I think it's pretty poisonous brand wise, right. Mm-hmm. To be like a Cosmos chain per se, but I think that mm-hmm. Cosmos abstraction has gone a really long way. Um, and there's a number of the, the best groups that are building around, you know, Cosmos under the hood, right? Like I think like Celestia has done a wonderful job there. DYDX has done a great job there. Initia has done a great job there. Like there's all these teams that are like, you know, building with Cosmos there, but they don't like yell it from the rooftops. And I think that tends to be actually more value creative in the long term. Right? It's so. re- yeah, it's really funny uh, how the devs build in a di- different direction than, you know, the main foundation or, you know, the main party. You even saw this with the Ethereum Foundation before DeFi. They were trying to build in this one direction, but the devs were like, nah, fuck it, we're going to build DeFi. And <laughs> yeah. so like, you, see this, you see this repeat over and over again in different ecosystems. Oh, totally. Yeah. Right. And I think Cosmos has been like perhaps a little bit overly guilty of having like a lot of the right ideas, but like very rough execution. Um, in that like, you know, when it came to restaking, when it came to consumer chains, um, when it came to, you know, like rollups, like there, there's been a lot of things like app chains, a lot of things were like done first in Cosmos, but like not well mm-hmm. for the vast majority <laughs> of cases. And are now starting to be replicated with like ethanol twos and other like staking networks and stuff that, that I think are seeing much more adoption and, and better UX, which I think was also re- like largely neglected. So, mm. you know, I'm, I, I'm not really, you know, I think I definitely like align a little bit more EVM wise in terms of like how we think about mm-hmm. like our user base, our audience, et cetera. Um, and, you know, the devs that we'll work with, but I don't think that, I think that it's smart to not fade Cosmos from a tech stack point of view. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think yeah, it's so funny ahead. that everyone is like, you know, we're ETH aligned, you know, we're, we're in ETH L2, <laughs> but then when you're like, we're built on Cosmos and we're modular. <laughs> you know? you got oh, it. This is so funny. Yeah. Uh, but w- one thing about the, the validators I want to highlight that I thought was like really clever when I dove into the docs was the BCV, which is the yeah. uh, block capture value. And yeah. it's it's inherently a different way of saying MEV, but it's yeah. baked into every single transaction. And I could envision like somebody building, say, a, a DEX that has like a really large uh, BCV allocation. So you basically built in a bribe for the validators to make sure you, to include any transactions out of this DEX is going to be in the block first so that it's kind of MEV resistant, right? You, you just kind of pay it uh, forward. I thought that was like super clever design. Can you walk us through how you guys come up with the design down to that part? <laughs> That's one that Dev Bear and the boys will probably be able to handle a lot more accurately than I will. But I think that there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do at the SDK level in terms of, you know, ordering transactions within a block mm-hmm. um, and or having something effectively like goal posted, if you will. So, you know, stuff like block captured value, et cetera, could fall into that bucket 110%, right? Um, but you also mm-hmm. want to make sure that that's done in an economically sustainable way, such that you don't have validators like censoring certain transactions either that do not actually, you know, effectively capture value for them or the, the protocols that they're incentivizing. Um, so that's why, you know, try to keep things as, as friendly as possible, but nonetheless um, have some levers in there that have that like EVM plus angle, if you will, um, of being able to do funky stuff. that's a little bit trickier to do in the, in the normal environment. Speaking about EVM plus, I want to, you know, move down the stack to, Polaris to the infrastructure layer. Uh, Polaris, it's a module where, that allows any Cosmos chain to import the EVM that you guys built in-house. Could you, uh, you know, walk us what Polaris is, how it works? Yeah, 110%, man. So Polaris is effectively, you know, our implementation of, of EVM on Cosmos. Um, you know, our goal was really to initially, like, you know, we weren't actually trying to go and build a new VM. 
Um, we tried to work with Ethermint, which is, you know, a stack that's been around since 2017 or so, has been in a few different hands. Um, we just found that it was a little bit tricky to work with from like a, a dev experience slash user experience point of view. Um, it was a little bit clunky uh, in terms of like the monolithic structure. So not evil, not very easy to abstract some of these layers as easily. Um, and more than anything, there was a lot of incompatibility with a lot of like common EVM, uh, like, you know, tooling and infrastructure, right? So. For us, we have like very standard Geth RPC. So if you want to plug in MetaMask, Nansen, whatever it may be, um, you know, block explorers, it's super easy to just like, you know, drag and drop that kind of stuff, um, which really does tend to, to decrease the burden for validators. Uh, so uh, not for validators, but for like applications and users. Um, then beyond that, we basically baked in what we call stateful precompiles. Um, and stateful precompiles can, uh, you know, have been seen in different contexts and um, are perhaps tricky to, to describe off the bat. But um, one of my friends, Scott Sonardo from Argus, who's using it, uh, who's using Polaris as their VM for the game, <clears throat> actually had a really good phrase that he used once, which is like, stateful precompiles are kind of like a cheat code for the EVM. Um, mm. In that, in our case, it actually allows you to access Cosmos SDK modules from within the EVM. As a, you can effectively call like Cosmos SDK module or like, you know, think of it as a, you know, Cosmos SDK contract while, you know, within Solidity, right? Um, but at the same time, it effectively allows you to add like a layer of pre-processing, if you will, to different uh, things before you put it through Solidity. So you could use that to build something theoretically that could allow one to, you know, write something in Rust or, you know, was and what have you, and then actually like, you know, push it through on the Solidity side. On the other hand, you could use it to like access the bank module or something you might commonly find in the SDK. Um, and I don't think that we've, we've explored those sort of limits yet. They have you know, good and bad things about them. They can be very powerful from like a parallel processing, a transaction efficiency, et cetera, point of view. Um, but they can also be a little bit tricky at times from a DevX point of view. So the way that we really view them is like, you know, there are cool edges that we've got here. Um, and there's something that, uh, you know, ideally along with the entire player stack allows us to, you know, really seamlessly connect the EVM and Cosmos ecosystems. Um, but someone can also just choose to build or deploy exactly as they would in a standard EVM environment. Um, it's really just about giving them that optionality to call on cool new stuff if they want to. Um, and I think, you know, as, as we sort of progress and as we, you know, look towards enabling IBC, so on and so forth, uh, the real end game and like what we really hope to, to be able to build with this VM is almost like a perfect base plate for a proof of stake chain, right? It gives people the, you know, access to liquidity, capital, developers uh, that they get in the EVM ecosystem and the ease of use of Solidity, et cetera. Um, and it gives them access to, you know, the, I'd say, security, the modularity, and the interoperability of the Cosmos SDK, um, and that whole stack and the entire Cosmos ecosystem. And the way we think about that for BearChain is that if you have, you know, EVM interoperability on one side and the ability to, you know, bring in capital from all these other chains and IBC compatibility on the other side and the ability to, you know, bring in capital and applications from Cosmos, then you really do end up, like, building this this hub or this chain that has the greatest total addressable or accessible liquidity out of any given ecosystem. And I think that gets very exciting over time as well, right? Um, and there's been a number of different directions that we've thought about, including, like, you know, how Bearchain can, can become a little bit of a hub for, like, other projects and other rollups as well. Um, and I don't think, like, that's the, the direction that we're, we're going down aggressively as of yet, but I very much do think that that's something that could be really cool to, to see down the road. Oh, it's... So you can basically become this liquidity hub, not just for bear chain, but maybe if there's like bear L2s or anybody that wants to plug into the bear liquidity stack, it's boom. It's like right there and they can use that with Polaris. Is that, is that where I'm getting at? Am I correct? Yeah, totally. Totally. And like, that's, that's part of like, you know, Rodney and I have joked a lot about before about the idea of like bear chains. Uh, and I just think that there's a, a lot of cool stuff that we can do with that, that sort of angle down the road. Yeah, yeah, and you know, Polaris also got me thinking, and not to call out the others, but there's like you know, Cosmosm, Evmos, who's kind of tried this this EVM on Cosmo kind of angle, right? Like, what do you think yeah. makes Polaris going to be that that stand out from the crowd? 
Yeah, I, I think a lot of it just has to do in terms of the, the nuance around the separation and or combination between um, the Cosmos SDK and EVM layers. Uh, and there's definitely times where that can be difficult, right? So, for example, this week, as we just had, like, an unholy amount of volume, um, we ran into issues on the mempool side just because, the, the like, the Comet BFT, like, uh, mempool is just, like, not great on Cosmos, and it's been a subject of debate for some while. Um, and there's definitely, you know, things that can be improved there, and there's actions that are being taken. Um, but at the same time, there's also stuff that's only possible because of, you know, how Polaris has been constructed. Um, and while I wish I could go into the, the weeds super deeply on that, um, well, I know that I wouldn't do it justice, but what I would say is that, you know, we believe that Polaris has been built to be more EVM equivalent or EVM compatible than any of the other implementations of EVM on Cosmos in the past. Um, especially just in sort of like that, that ease of use slash developer tooling angle. So what that means is that you can use Foundry, Hardhat, what have you, like people should be able to use all the tools that they've used um, in a familiar EVM ecosystem um, on Barachain without having to think twice about it. So I think it's, it's very possible for one to build on Barachain without even knowing that the Cosmos SDK is involved in any way, which I think is like kind of an ideal like dev experience um, right. while being able to have access to that, like, that resource set if they should wish. Um, and we've actually even been able to show that you can build like OP stack rollups and stuff to bear chain. Um, so I think also that degree of like interoperability with like the, the deeper layers of the stack hasn't been seen before. So sort of excited to explore that from all angles down the road, but want to make sure that all the blocks are filled on mainnet first. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, so you, you mentioned, you know, you guys are really pushing uh, Cosmos to the limits, to its technical limits. In a way, you're forcing Cosmos to evolve because you have all this demand, especially what we've seen on your testnet. Uh, wait, Kid, did you have any more questions? No, I'm good. No. Um, and I want to go on to the testnet launch next because this is, you know, I mentioned to you before the show, this is probably the most successful testnet launch I've ever seen. If I was an alien looking down on Earth, I would think it would be a mainland launch, the amount of excitement, <laughs> the amount of threads, the amount of hype uh, and that we've seen from the testnet launch, the chain is real, guys. Uh, let's go over, like, what are your thoughts on the launch? Uh, what did you like about it? And what do you think uh, could be improved um, about the testnet? Yeah, good question, man. Um, listen, I was really excited about and really, you know, encouraged by the amount of traffic and the amount of engagement that we saw. Um, and we even just had like, you know, teams that we weren't sure how quickly they would deploy, but they just started like ripping in right away. Um, like even now, I think there's like, you know, 15 plus groups that have deployed smart contracts, like, like that are actual builder teams and not just like sort of spoof contracts um, that we're aware of over the last little while. Um, and, you know, I was, I was talking to Jay and the Waymont guys this morning, and I just saw them <laughs> plop down some contracts. I remember we hung out in, in New York a little while, but yeah, well, yeah. Dave. Um, <laughs> so, like, it's just, it's been cool to see folks, like, getting on there and starting to adopt it. Um, of course, I wish that things were a little bit more stable off the bat. At first, we just had, you know, our RPC providers were, like, uh, you know, partially, I think that we could have warned them a little bit better. Um, and also, we just did not expect the amount of volume that they had, but they had to, like, you know, double the number of nodes they were running for us and stuff. Um, and then it was just, you know, a little bit of firefighting along the way. So, um, listen, I wish it was a little bit smoother from having, uh, you know, uh, I, I guess expected as much, uh, uh, like, you know, inflow slash load as we, as we saw here. Uh, and we did a ton before we hosted a private test net with a number of teams, um, where we saw no issues. We did a whole bunch of network spam slash like node spamming tests. Um, but there just wasn't much second or that we yeah. were able to do that. I think, you know, replicated it to the same extent. Um, so this has been, you know, eye opening in the best of ways. This is the time when we want things to break. Um, of course I'm, you know, I'm very much like, a, I guess a perfectionist when it comes to this kind of stuff, but I, I'm not satisfied. Like I, I will not be satisfied until, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're up there with everyone beyond, you know, I think up there with everyone, like, be, like, except for ETH, like that's the point at which maybe I'll be like, all right, cool. Like we've done. Okay. 
Um, but until then, you know, I, I very much see it as like the, the job's not finished, right? So job's um, not finished. Yep. Job's not finished, right? So that's, that's, uh, yeah, I was just talking to my team about that. Cause even when we look at other test nets, like, um, we've, I think, blown most out of the water from, from like a user interaction point of view. Um, and like transaction point of view as well. And I was just like, Oh, it's gotta be all bots. And then we actually looked through the, the data and it's like, no, like there's, there's hundreds of thousands of real users, <laughs> which is, you know, kind of terrifying. And I'm sure some of them are just like farming, doing quests, whatever it is. Um, but I also think that's like a, a meaningful deviation from what we often see. Um, and I just hope that we're able to carry through that excitement and, and, you know, improve on products going into mainnet. Yeah, these are good problems to have. Like, oh, this is like way more than we expected. Like, oh, like, exactly. You double up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Kit, what are you thinking? Um, I mean, I, I tried to play with it y- yesterday and, and the, the faucet worked r- really smoothly and the onboarding was, I was very surprised that this was a Cosmos chain. So it really did live up to that. I plugged in with an EVM wallet and I was like, because the moment I heard the word Cosmos, like, oh my God, here, go, here comes yeah, the Kepler yeah, yeah, yeah. from hell. This is the Kepler yeah. from hell situation. Like, this is one a sidebar. Like, it took me forever to figure out which block explorer to use to find out where my transaction went for another Cosmos chain that I was using. I was like, how is this possible? <laughs> and, there, and then there's like a ton of these too. So like each one of them has their own shit. Anyways. So anyway, I tried it with uh, super smooth onboarding. Love that. Nice. Super sweet faucet drop. The issue I bumped into was when I tried to LP and swap, I kept getting yeah, like, yeah. an error. Right. Yeah. And I was yeah, like, I don't know. Like, that's, if that's because like the mempool thing that you were saying, or is it because of, yeah, partially we were, we've been doing a whole bunch of different stuff in parallel. On one hand, we were just, you know, basically removing stuff, some stuff from the node logic and actually like put pushing it into like the, the application layer logic. Um, and then we were also like doing some work on the Dex router as well to make things a little bit smoother. Um, and then I think the, the biggest issue actually was that, uh, there just wasn't enough liquidity in the Dex. So people uh, weren't, uh, so people like were, were, if they tried to swap without, without enough uh, slippage, they were just getting aired out so it could have been mempool could have been that but we're basically we're basically cutting off all the different ways that things could have gone wrong so we were doing that we were you know updating the purpose liquidation bot all that kind of stuff was you know just uh adapting for volume okay i see because i you know as any true DeFi user worth his salt you can't just give up on a simple swap right so i try to go with the other route <laughs> keep going I was like, why is it not working <laughs> I was, exactly i was like let me try to now lp it single sided yeah. instead of swapping right but then i still yeah, got yeah. clocked with an error there too so i was like okay i don't know what's yeah, going yeah. on it, so might, it might have been at the time we were flushing the mempool as well. There was a point where we were just like basically trying to clear out all the old transactions, um, then scaling down the, uh, you know, effectively like, uh, scaling up the gas, like basically just fucking around a whole bunch of the validator config in an effort to basically just flush the whole network. And then that was, that was probably blocking a whole bunch of stuff from happening. So we'd actually turned off the faucet for some time and, um, and only like stealthily had it on at some points such that like, uh, such that that could happen. Okay, I'm glad you stealthily have it on because that was the only way for me to interact with Barachain right now to make sure that I, uh, you know, qualify for the when token situation. Go <laughs> to the faucet and just, and, and just claim because that's the As only the interaction I can does. have. <laughs> As the man of culture does. Yeah. So, Smokey, I have a question uh, when it comes to VD. Uh, you know, with this yeah. test launch, you've so you've had all these different projects. You know, I believe it's like over a hundred projects uh, waiting mm-hmm. for this launch. And, you know, yeah. you guys have been in development for the past year and a half more. How were you able to uh, do BD and keep their attention? And I know it requires a lot of patience on their part because they have devs, they have payments, they have things they need to cover. Uh, how were you able to keep their attention 
and uh, basically, you know, cater to them over the past year and a half? Yo, I have no fucking idea. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's one of the questions I, that the team and I joke about the most. Um, yeah. I, I think that a lot of it is, is just sort of like, you know, um, being there when projects need something. And I think a lot of it is mm-hmm. also just showing that there is a constant plan or a constant, um, you know, roadmap in mind for how they fit into the ecosystem, right? Um, so for us, it was a lot of being like, okay, cool. How does X and Y actually end up, you know, like fitting together, like, you know, DeFi Legos wise? Uh, or even like non-DeFi Legos wise, like yesterday I was um, introducing two teams to figure out how we could build like power perps on NFTs because I thought that would be really fun, right? And, um, you know, there's AI groups that want to work with like yield farming groups. I just think there's like a bunch of like funky stuff mm. that you can see done under the right environments. Um, and I think it was just a matter It was just a matter of like um, demonstrating that we wanted it, I suppose. I, I think there's a lot of chains um, and a lot of like, you know, uh, you know, chain BD groups, if you will, they'll be like, you know, yeah, we'll throw a grant at you and then like, you know, just figure it out. Um, for us, it was like, no, we'll, we'll work with teams. We'll help you figure out your go-to-market strategy, your tokenomics. Um, for good teams, we'll help make introductions to uh, different VCs and help, you know, get funded. Um, basically try to be like, you know, their, their fixer or the, the, the group that they go to to make their problems go away. Um, and in exchange, you know, hope that they, they want to do good things in the ecosystem. Um, so I think that that's really, you know, been it more than anything else. It's been showing, uh, A, that we, we care and we're willing to put in the work, uh, and B, that, you know, we've thought about how they mechanistically fit into the ecosystem um, and how they might be advantaged by, by actually, you know, existing on bear chain, which I think has often been the thing that the groups have really had a hard time with. It's like, okay, like, why should I live on your chain versus, versus this one? Um, and I think that's the problem that we try to solve. It's like, actually, you know, here's how you get turboed by living on our chain. Uh. So people cool. come to Barachain because there's this whole host of primitives, products, even things that we may have not, not thought of that are there to use and play with. You got it. It's that, and there's the, the ability to, you know, a, a demonstrated community and user base that's looking for new things and has um, had a history of showing that they actually try cool new things, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that be, you know, the ambient finance test set or like being like a top collection on pseudoswap slash blur mm-hmm. or, you know, like different options protocols and stuff. I think there's like a, there's already a vetted thesis that the bear chain community is the right mix of risk on and, and like, and, and, you know, sophisticated to try interesting new things. Um, and also the, the demonstrated ability, I think of our team to be able to help people, you know, navigate some of their issues. And I just got to say who wouldn't want to be a graduate from the build a bear accelerator. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, um, dude, we, that's, that's very much been our answer to, to grants, right? Like I think mm-hmm. people are like, okay, we're going to build this grant program. I'm like, that's fucking horrible. You're just throwing money at people that is ultimately going to, you know, return no value or, you know, may like has, you know what I mean? Like it is in many cases a negative asymmetric trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it necessarily attracts the best quality of builders in many cases. I think grants for certain public goods can be great, right? I think grants for stuff that like is very much in service of the entire ecosystem can be great. Um, but I think over here, we're just like, it, it makes a lot more sense for the, the foundation, um, and or in this case, build a to have like skin in the game, to be incentivized, to, you know, see the ecosystem succeed, to serve as perhaps the basis of a venture fund or something of the sort down the road. Um, and for us to be able to use our network and tap our resources, um, perhaps for folks who, you know, wanted to get involved with Barachain but couldn't for whatever reason, um, to actually help them get exposure to the projects. Um, so, you know, we very, you know, build a bear is very much, you know, uh, Sammy from redacted cartel slash new order, uh, previously, um, mm-hmm. one of the best minds in DeFi, in my opinion. And I think you guys have, have each met him in yep, the past, yep. um, also Toronto native and a super sharp dude. 
um, is you know uh, is, is you know taking point on uh, on the incubator slash accelerator um, and helping to spin those things up. And I do my best to help those teams when they think through their strategy, their go to market, you know some of their comms, um, how we can be best supportive as a foundation, uh, and of course helping a whole bunch on the fundraising front. So it is really meant to be like the um, I think the the ultimate like you know white glove service on bear chain. Yeah, and so I, I, I think uh, it's amazing. Yeah, I think yeah, it's amazing that um, you guys have built such a thriving ecosystem before the mainnet has even launched. Because you know, a big <laughs> problem of all these new chains, new chains, new chains is that you know what do when new chain comes out, right? It's like you said, copy pasta across the board of protocols, the usual stuff. But you cannot copy pasta for Barra Chain because the ambient dex is already there, the perp is already <laughs> there, the stable coins already there. So and you the really got there. Yeah, and the community is there, yeah. so you really got to come correct, you know, and don't wait for that, you to come correct, exactly it's for it. you to have innovation, yeah. That's exactly it, and, and you hit the nail on the head there, it's like, you know, on one hand, those primitives are there because um, they allow us to, you know, bootstrap deep BDG gener- generation in a safe manner, uh, and to effectively produce that in, in a way that we know it's not a third-party contract that we have to worry about too much, and it's, you know, super mm-hmm. battle-tested, et cetera. Um, but it's also, it's, you know, to, to prevent the 6 to 12 months of, like, Ponzi bullshit forks, like we don't need another, you know, Uni V2 fork that has, doesn't have anything different. We don't need another like, you know, Ave fork that doesn't do anything, right? Like it's it's more how do we actually encourage the people who succeed in the ecosystem to be the ones who are, you know, pushing the bar forward, who are building stuff like the BAMM, you know what I mean? Like like mm-hmm. funky cool shit that we want to see moving the space in the right direction. Yeah. That actually leads well to my next question. Uh Smokey. What's on your DGen wish list? Though? What kind of novel DeFi <laughs> primitives do you want to see on Bear Chain? Uh, and, oh. you know, use your imagination here. We want to hear it. That's a great question, man. Um, I think that like one of the, the things I'm most bullish on, uh, just because I think it is ultimately like a source of massive PMF for, for crypto, um, is leverage on shit coins. I'm very bullish mm-hmm. on different angles that allow you to get like some sort of crazy leverage on shit coins. Um, because I, I do think that like, you know, you saw the recent, like sort of, uh, I don't even want to know what to call it, like, like the animal coin economy, bro, like, like Toshi <laughs> and or, like whiff and like so on and so forth. Like, I think that if, you know, before by before all these groups are listed, listed perps, I think that, you know, could be very cool to see what happens with those on chain. Um, and I also think that extends to its NFTs as well. Um, and that's also just cause like, I'm a bit of a degen at heart, even though I'm no longer a good trader. Um, I think that that kind of stuff is cool. Uh, I think that an idea that we've been playing around with a little bit and I'd, I'd love to see someone do right. And, um, you know, we're starting to talk to a couple of teams that might be working on this and or like, you know, start incubating it um, is this idea of like something that's uh, AI X yield egg. Like I, I'm very, I'm very naturally bearish AI and crypto stuff in terms of like, I think a lot of it's just like kind of like vaporware slash scammy. Um, but I do think there are a couple of teams that are building pretty legit stuff. And the idea to me of like a yield farm or like, a, you know, effectively like an auto farmer slash like yield aggregator um, that, you know, takes in a certain set of inputs around risk parameters, et cetera, then analyzes a whole bunch of contracts, you know, their previous on-chain data, you know, holders, transaction volume, so on and so forth, um, you know, tr- changes in APY across given timeframes and then like helps cycle your capital to the mm-hmm. best source of yield across the chain. Sounds like something that would go ridiculously hard if done correctly. Um easier said than done, especially when keeping in mind like adversarial like approaches there and like, you know, how bots might try to gamify that or whatever. Um, but I think like if done right would be like a fucking top 10 DeFi project. Yeah. Right. It um, sounds like an on-chain arms race about to begin. Exactly. <laughs> right. Like, so I think that kind of stuff is super cool. Um, and then I still don't think anyone has quite done 
I, I'm excited to see stuff in like the vol- the volatility trading space come online. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I'm just excited for stuff like GammaSwap and like you know groups that are building around like vol trading because I think mm-hmm. that if there's one thing that crypto has, it's a fuck ton of vol. Uh, I think that you know that and its derivatives will be very interesting. Um, and then yeah, I'm I'm I think I'm just broadly excited in things that enable novel forms of speculation that have not existed before. Um, and, or, uh, you know what, like one other thing that's, that's really wild is, uh, and then this is like, you know, often like a very like cold take, but I'm, I'm excited to see like better insurance primitives. Mm. Um, I think that like, I think that that's often really downplayed. Um, but I honestly think that if we all want like, you know, meaningful scales of capital to exist on chain, holy fuck, we need better insurance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I saw a tweet the other day, uh, actually no, today, um, that said something along the lines that, you know, DeFi couldn't get insurance. So then Iger layer came in to take advantage of it. And I was like, ah, oh, that, that kind of guys me thinking that it's somewhat true. Um, but yeah, um, wh- what are your thoughts on insurance? I'd like to like dive into that more because people have not talked about that at all. Oh, dude, like, I, I just think that right now there aren't any, like, groups that have, you know, meaningful incentive models that, that actually make sense. And I don't think it's, it's very easily, you know, it's not easily, easily done either, right? Like, insurance in the real world makes uh, a good bit of sense because you actually have, you know, like, fairly statistically predictable risk parameters. You have perhaps, on average, a much larger group that you're addressing. Like, there's a way for insurance to be profitable. It's very difficult for insurance on-chain to be profitable right now. So I understand how that can be quite tough to build around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that some of these things like effectively like, you know, like, like effectively friendly front running type solutions um, are, are interesting to see in terms of how that might actually like work down the road. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I have any massive ideas there as of yet, because just incentive model wise, it's kind of tricky. There's one or two groups that are working on things that like, you know, effectively allow you to build like a sandbox chain that has like a keeper network that allow you to roll back the chain to a state before a hack happened, for example, um, mm-hmm. in the case of an event and stuff like that, like there's a, there's some pretty cool teams called like firewall slash pilot and stuff like that, uh, that I, that I could, you know, definitely see moving the bar forward. And, you know, there's other groups that are trying to, you know, use move, for example, to really like, um, minimize the risk of like re-entrance issues and so on and so forth. Um, but I just, I still don't, I still think that for the EVM environment, you need like a, a really killer, like, Hey, this is how we are sure that we do not get fucked if I put like, you know, a hundred million dollars in this protocol kind of approach. Yeah. I wonder if it's because there's enough data yet or if it's not at scale yet. And like, once we get enough data and we reach that scale, then it'll give the opportunity for insurance to really come about. It's, it's entirely possible, man. And it could also just be like a language sophistication point of view. Uh, I'm really not sure. And it could be something on the MEV side as well, right? Mm-hmm. As in if there's a way to, you know, have like friendly front running solutions and maybe that actually does it. Like that's probably the, the side that I'm most bullish in so far. But I just, I, I cannot pretend to know enough about the entire space or have gone deep enough to, to speak with any level of like, you know, meaningful authority there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I, I want to double back to the, the VD question. Cause like, um, any good researcher and DJ, you got to do your due diligence. And I obviously went to the careers page of your yeah, chain. <laughs> and I noticed that one of the requirements on there was that, you know, uh, for the BD lead was you got to be connected with web two brands and enterprises as well as across media and gaming, not just DeFi and finance. So, you <laughs> yeah. know, could you share a little bit about your aspirations that are outside man did of, his homework. of DeFi? <laughs> for sure, man, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I think that uh, things get pretty exciting uh, over time. Um, I think that, you know, for us, 
it, it matters a lot to be able to scale beyond DeFi at some point because, well, um, you know, I think that we are a T-shaped ecosystem. I think that we are best built to serve and, and you know, to enable DeFi users and DeFi applications. Um, but I do very much also think that down the road, uh, and, you know, there's already plans for this in place. We want to be able to, to have other angles too, right? Um, we have backgrounds that are, like, relatively trad, and, you know, a number of the folks on our team have strong backgrounds from, you know, finance slash trad tech. Uh, and I think there's other, you know, perhaps interesting applications that we can enable at the value transfer layer, whether that be for RWAs, whether that be as a settlement layer for gaming, whether that be as a, you know, value transfer layer for different NFT, you know, like that's different NFTs that are represented different Web2 brands, what have you. Um, but we have to think about that corporate angle over time if we want to to scale as a, as a company and as an L1, um, because I think otherwise, you know, you, you, you sort of pigeonhole yourself a little bit too much. So we actually recently brought on someone in that role. Um, his name is, is Adam. He's fully doxxed as, as one sort of needs to be in that role. Um, he previously, you know, led all of Amazon's like digital natives and hot startups programs. Um, so, or sorry, I should say AWS's. So it was dealing with like, you know, 3000 plus, you know, startups across different verticals. Um, and also like, you know, more established brands are working very closely with Amazon to bring people on board, uh, and then led BD at third web shortly after. So he's, he's, you know, as I see one of the perfect guys for this role, um, because he really is able to understand this from, you know, the, the native web three angle of having worked with folks who are trying to deploy code, trying to deploy smart contracts, um, while also being able to work with those large enterprises that have been trying to do the same thing in a, a simple manner um, with Third Web. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he's been awesome. He's, he's already cooking, um, working on a whole bunch of different initiatives and has been uh, in the house with us for the last week or so. Shout out, Adam. That's the uh, boy. Yeah. How big is the Bear Chain team now? Yeah, good question, man. Um, we've been adding heads, so I think we're, we're approaching 35 now. Um, so, you know, still, I don't think big by L1 standards, like pretty small by L1 standards, but nonetheless, like, you know, there's there, there's more heads and uh, and the, the office is getting more crowded. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, what do you think, you know, long term, uh, what will be the, the key to bear chain success? Um, you know, ideally, like a few years from now, Super bowl case scenario, you yeah. Know, bear chain, you know, top five TVL by chain. Like, what what are your aspirations for bear chain? What does a, a bear world look like? Yeah, great question, man. Uh, like, look, I think a perfect world for bear chain is one where we have become the ideal sandbox and or the ideal place where people build things uh, that are new, that are exciting, that are get off, getting off the ground. Right. I think it's it's always very difficult to displace ETH in the long run. Um, and I don't know if that's a narrative I even personally necessarily subscribe to. I don't know if that's fun. I just think it's like fair to be like an ETH maxi in some manners, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's very possible to actually, you know, support the ETH ecosystem or be ETH aligned or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> while at the same time, um, you know, building the ecosystem that attracts the coolest, newest things off the bat. Um, and I want us to basically be the place that empowers applications and those building them to the greatest degree possible at the protocol level. Um, so the way, you know, what that means for me is like, if there's something new and cool, it's existing on bear chain before it's existing on mainnet. Um, and you know, maybe it goes to mainnet down the road, but like we are, we're, we're the proving ground for new protocols. Um, and I'd also like to see bear chain become like a, uh, I'd say an important base plate, um, in a number of things that are actually useful down the road. Um, and I think enabling speculation is useful and fun. And I think enabling financial primitives is is, like, is a lot of fun and it has its own value, but I also want to be able to see like where we can solve problems that you can really rally people around. 
like I think about this in, in the context of like third world countries and like payment processors and stuff, like, can we become the backbone? Can honey become a stable coin that helps, you know, some, you know, rural region actually, you know, pay trans like, you know, carry out their transactions while their currency is rapidly inflating. Can we save Argentina or some shit? I don't know the answer to any of these questions as of yet. Right. But I think that there's something to be said about, um, having end game applications that are, that are somewhat noble while staying true to our roots of, of doing cool shit um, and enabling builders to build the best things possible. Yeah, this so is I, the, I would, yeah, I, I would love to do like, you know, just barbell, right? Like serve the DJs the and the people. out of my mouth, the builder barbell <laughs> for the DJs and for the, who, those who need it. You got it, man. Um, <laughs> because I think, I think I will also sleep better at night than to like, Hey, like, you know, we're building things that are genuinely helping people. Right. That's, that's where my, you know, career has been in the past and that's where, where I feel most comfortable doing things. Um, and I think that's something that also becomes easier to rally a team, a community, a whole effort around. And I think that, you know, there's a point at which it becomes realistic. And, and in order to get to that point, you really have to build everything else first. And then it's like, Hey, cool. Like we can actually find a way to embed into this payments processor in like rural regions of Africa or something. Right. Um, so I think that kind of stuff gets funky. And I, I, I want us to be able to, to, you know, have the yin and yang thing going down. Yeah, like, absolutely. It, it, sound, it seems so in my mind. It's like, on the one hand, it's like, you know, smoky, head philanthropist, barricades. On the other hand, it's like, smoky, casino kingpin. <laughs> what the, what? It was like, give me 10,000 leverage on dog with hat. Right? Like, <laughs> right. And by the way, send those winnings to alleviate some hyperinflation. Exactly. In exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the payout goes to the Argentinian children. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, you know, this is a, a Frax podcast, of course, first and foremost. And, you know, I wanted to save, you know, the best, the best question for last, uh, you know, for, for reasons. Uh, could there be a collaboration with Frax in the future? You know, you know, Frax coming on chain, you know, maybe Frax, Frax or Frax becoming a house pool. Maybe we see like S-Frax or S-Frax yield on there. Like, is there, you know, any room for that? Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, dude, 110%. Um, you know, Sam, uh, Sam and I have already, you know, started having some of those conversations and, and Sammy's also looped in there. Um, so I think that, uh, I, I think that we'll very hopefully look towards the future where, where Frax and Barrick can, uh, can coexist in the same chain and have some good fun. Um, cause I, I think there's lots of complementary mechanisms. Yeah. And is it possible for, you know, new stable coins, not just USDC, but like Frax to be able to mint honey? Potentially. The reason that we've kept Honey's collateral very stable to start um, is due to, you know, we want to make sure things are as like legally slash reg compliant as possible because, you know, we can build the best system ever, but we don't want it to, to you know, tread into any, you know, ruffling you know, feathers territory. Mm -hmm. um, so I think for to start, we're very much looking at, you know, just very much like kosher, kosher collaterals that even like from current bills that are being processed look like they'll be fine. Um, but you know, I don't, I actually don't know what degree of control we have over that over time. Once the network is fully decentralized, um, mm -hmm. all I can hope is that the token holders make, you know, responsible decisions that don't put us or anyone else in any unwanted crosshairs down the road. Mm -hmm. But in short, I think there's a hundred percent of world where, you know, Frax gets involved in a whole bunch of these different chain apps and, and is also just like existing ecosystem wise on bear chain. Um, and then potentially there's even a world where it can be, you know, more ingrained into the honey process. We'll just have to see where that actually goes, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know, pen and paper wise. It definitely seems like a natural fit, uh, especially with the whole gauge bribe ecosystem that you're building oh, 100%. at the chain level. So, you know, um, but I have, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait, Kit, were you about to say something? Yeah. I, I was going to say like, in my mind, the most logical fit for Frax right away would become a, a validator on Barachain because <laughs> day one, 
Frax already has bribes. You know, Frax yeah, already yeah. has gauge cannons to be like, you yeah. know, to attract even more BGT. So you know how yeah. Frax was early to getting convex, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, Frax yeah, was totally super early. So yeah. you know, Dude, Frax BGT was the running back with Frax. Exactly, be, uh, exactly. Great. And, Dude, and, and 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 General Sam Kaz right on the forefront right there, man. <laughs> it's already cooking. It's already cooking. Plus the History strongest stable repeat, court. It rhymes. Yeah, <laughs> so. I got no doubt, man. Yeah. And I think we'll also see about bringing the whole curve ecosystem over. Like you know, Mister Block and some of those other folks around the cap. Right, right. Um, right. Sammy is obviously super close to them. Um, so I think there's obviously some some you know good potential for overlap for for those sorts of fun primitives on on Bear as well. Mm-hmm. And I got one more question before we go to the lightning round. And it's simply when main night. <laughs> we're, uh, we're shooting for main night Q2 this year, sir. So, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. we're going to be ripping. You heard it here, folks. Oh. Q2. And we're ripping. We're ripping and we're going to do No pun intended. We're ripping here. <laughs> oh, we, we very much are, man. Um, yeah. My mind just thinks in puns. I can't help it. Oh, I, I cannot blame you. I, I, would, I cannot blame you at all. I walked into it, man. Uh, but yeah, yeah we're, we're really excited for it. Um, just getting all of our ducks in a row, making sure that we got you know finishing touches on stuff from an audit point of view, making all the upgrades we need to, to handle volume. Hopefully not as much volume, but handle volume. And then just uh, let the thing rock. Yeah. Hell yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Smokey, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, before you go, we love to do uh, a lightning round at the end of these episodes to get to know, you know, the man behind the chain. So, yeah, please. Yeah, Kit, go ahead. Just to kick us off to, you know, to learn more about the man behind the bear, Ra. First question is, when did you first touch the blockchain? What was your virgin crypto experience? But sex doesn't count. <laughs> uh, it was 2015, I believe, and it was uh, it was buying ETH, and that was like OTC through a friend, effectively at the time. Uh, I was just like, "Yo, okay, let me let me buy some of these these Ethereum tokens. They sound pretty cool." He <laughs> <laughs> nice. was buying like 2K of ETH or something. Nice, nice. And the second question: What is your favorite off-chain touch grass activity, hobbies, and interests? Oh my God, man. It's been a while since I've done some of those. Uh, um, I, I have a dog. I, I probably like enjoy spending time with my dog nowadays a fair bit. Um, and then beyond that, honestly, just like doing some stupid shit with my friends, mostly just getting a chance to catch up with people outside of the world of work. Mm-hmm, cool. And uh, what would be some advice to your, your younger self? Oh my god! <laughs> Too much. Um, no, no, no. I think I think that like the the one thing that I try to like really, really live by, and I, I'd want to enforce this, is to you know to to maintain um, like to never be too serious. Um, because I really do think that the people who take things too seriously are really fucking lame. Um, and I think that's the last thing I'd want to be. So, uh, yeah, like I think to, to, you know, remain, remain unserious and have fun with things, but you know, remain still get silly. The shit done. <laughs> remain silly. Yeah. Honestly, stay silly kids. That, that's sort of stay where silly. my head goes. <laughs> okay. Um, and for me, it's if you weren't in finance, VC, crypto, or biotech, what would your yeah. professional career path be? Oh, that's, that's an interesting one. I was thinking about this a little bit more recently. Um, you know, I think of things a lot of like in the scale of impact um, and just like, you know, what I can do that is 
good and interesting and fun. Um, and I thought a lot about like, you know, what an accelerator and or like a human accelerator for, for younger like kids would be, because I find that, you know, a lot of the folks I know um, that I'm, I'm most impressed by got their edge really early. Like they started working on something where they're like 12 to 15 and then that just right, compounded right. like fucking mad. So I guess yeah. that would be in, in a form of alternative education. I've thought about this a lot in terms of like, mm. you know, what I, what maybe end up happening, you know, way down the road, right? Do I just try to manufacture these, these monstrous children who are either, you know, <laughs> incapable of talking to women or are, or just like, you know, just, you know, just beasts in a different manner. <laughs> Perhaps both, right? It's not build a family, it's build an but cannot procreate. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you know, single direction. <laughs> so, I, I think all those, I think a lot about, like, you know, just, just when you think about, like, what maximizes shots on net for doing cool things um, and are making mm-hmm. good things exist in the world, I, I think mm-hmm. it, a lot of it is coming down to, like, giving other people the opportunity to do so. Um, so I, I believe that when you think about that from almost like a portfolio construction point of view, like an accelerator and or a training program for kids who are young and can like help to work on hard stuff early, uh, feels like a good way of, of, of channeling that. Ripping the weed, educating the kids. That's honestly the most egalitarian, utilitarian answer you know we've gotten on the show. So kudos to that. Uh, I try, man. And uh, one last one for me. Uh, who would you like to see on the show? Who would you recommend as a guest on Flywheel? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm trying to think between shilling my bags and uh, and, and people who I think would be really cool. And there's there's a little there's a little bit of both, honestly. Um, one thing that I think would be, I have you guys had Sri Ram or some of the Eigenlayer guys on board? Yeah, we had them on last year. Okay, yeah. awesome. I think that they're a great group to think about and talk about. Um, and I think another group that would probably be pretty cool to look at. I think you guys. I would enjoy talking to Ryan from Exponents Fi. Um, he has built one of the largest DeFi projects that there ever was before, um, and now is building something that I think could be very interesting from a PMF slash like building the next generation of crypto point of view um, in terms of incentive mechanisms, and also Ooh. in line with my thesis around leverage on shit coins. So I, I think that I think that Ryan's like a very cool mechanism designer, and he's someone who who could have a cool cool interaction with y'all. He's also okay. based in Korea, so. Oh no way! Okay, yeah. all right. I I like this because it really like piques my interest because it's he just like gave just enough information. It's like, all right, what the fuck is he cooking, this guy? So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. anyways, uh, Smokey, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, could you give your socials and Barachin socials uh, before we head out? Yeah, of course. You guys can catch me on on Twitter at Smokey the Barra, um, and that's S M O K E Y then. T-H-E-B-E-R-A and then Barachange is twitter.com slash Barachain same deal discord.gg slash Barachain um, those are the best ways to catch me yeah you heard it here folks uh, Smokey from Barachain thank you so much for coming on uh, we hope to see you soon okay thanks for having me guys thank you brother greetings everyone Welcome to the post game. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here as always with Capital K. We're wrapping up a fantastic interview with Smokey, one of the co-founders of Barrow Chain. And this podcast was so down our alley, honestly. Like it hit all like basically all the points that we love to cover, like getting in deep into the protocol, the protocols, I might say, getting deep into the chain, getting deep into the ecosystem, basically the full stack. Smokey just lays out the full stack on how to run an ecosystem, and it was really impressive. And I feel energized after that pod. What about you, Kit? What are your thoughts on this one? 
bro. I felt this is one of our, you know, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back, but I'm going to pat ourselves on the back and said that we had such a good flow on this one. We started mm-hmm. with the lore to kind of build that initial momentum and vibe. Then we got down to brass tacks of what the hell is proof of liquidity. Then we started going further, expanded, like how do you do this with the whole ecosystem? And then we kind of ended at the end of the day with, you know, what about fracks into all of this? So yeah, I thought it was such, classic. It, honestly, it was one of our best flows, in my opinion. Yeah, I think we were very thoughtful and intentional. We did our research. Uh, like I said earlier, this has been a year and a half in the making. Right. I feel like there's this lore between like us and Bear Chain that is intertwined. And like finally we're on the pod and I'm excited to see like what happens in the future in that regard. Um, yeah. But yeah, what, what are just, some highlights? Just for yeah. context, um, their event in Korea was so lit. That's all. <laughs> that's all. That's you all. Must event, you must go. You must go to the next one. It was a night. <laughs> yeah, dude. yeah, no, we've been hosting events with them like all around the world. They've been, you know, he, you know, huge supporters on the social front in that regard. So shout out to them. Um, but back to the interview, what are some of your favorite parts? Like what parts really stuck out to you? I I think what really stuck out to me was how they started as an NFT collection and Obviously, that sounds so obvious because that's the fact, but people Mm -hmm. didn't recognize what that implies is that their product was community and they crafted that from the very beginning, just like how like a startup would to make sure that the culture is correct. And Mm -hmm. earlier I said in the pod, it's like selection is kind of better than activation. And the way I said that, the reason why I said that is like activation is like, hey, meme contest there or, you know, let's do some kind of, you know, fictitious surface level game night or some kind of like Mm -hmm. really not, you know, deep connected stuff. So that is like really low level, cheap activation. Whereas Smokey and the boys, they started with really high level selecting the right people to be in the group. And that just kind of propelled itself. Yeah, That was my main takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, you know, it's the focus on BD and like, you know, their aggressive growth, the the trilemma they, he put forth Mm -hmm. um, of users, devs, and capital. Like if you want to have a successful chain, a successful ecosystem, you need to hit all three. And I think, you know, a lot of chains hit, like you said, hit two of them, but Bear Chain has really been focusing on getting all three of them. And you see that show, you really see that show mm-hmm. uh, with the users and devs with their testnet launch. You know, once the mm-hmm. mainnet launch comes in Q2 and we see the capital flow and, you know, we'll see if it like really pans out. But, you know, I think that he, they're really well-rounded like all overall, whether it's, you know, the community members they have are well-rounded, whether it's the builders they have in their team are well-rounded. They're really thinking about building an ecosystem in a really holistic uh, perspective. And you don't see that often. Usually, you know, it's just, oh, we're building on this narrative. Oh, we're building on this technical thing or that and that. And I think that's what really separates Barachain apart. And I think that's why I was excited about them ever since I met them way back in September, 2022. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on, bro. And it's like the, it's almost like the case in point of DeFi slash crypto, like innovating, right? This is not just another copy pasta L1, right? This is no. clearly like, like you know, a bear chain is standing on the shoulders of all else that came before them. And I think this shows that, you know, we are advancing, we are getting forward and things are not just kind of stagnant. So that's also exciting to see. 
and yeah, also crossing that. crossing the chain right crossing the chasm to going into a cosmos mixed with mm-hmm. an evm and potentially possibly touching some re 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 staking action re so. re re yeah uh you know it's interesting like at heart um you can tell that Smokey is maybe a little bit ethereum maxi ethereum aligned but in terms of a builder and and thinking about hey how am i going to build this chain you know he was like oh i got to go to Co-. even though i hate it, i hate it or not whatnot like got to go to cosmos <laughs> and then it's like oh how can i improve cosmos how can i push the bounds of cosmos and still be ethereum aligned yeah yeah it's yeah. so funny it's like we're ether aligned and we're built on cosmos but cosmos. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um exactly um and i guess what's uh, one part of this interview that surprised you Oh, part of the surprise me. Let me think about this. Um, how would you go first? Let me, let me think on this one. What surprised um, me? Surprised me. Um, I oh the I, I know the fucking FTX bankruptcy bear. That's that story's hilarious. Uh, yeah, I like I, I would have never thought that would have happened, but it makes yeah. sense. With this. But what what kind of surprised me? Um, was kind of like Swaggy's background, really. And he only shared a bit of it, right? It was like, you know, yeah. XVC, XX, Biopharma. And I was just thinking like, man, that is such a, it makes sense, right? To have that background for someone to start something like, like Barachain. But mm-hmm. I, I, I definitely do wonder, like in the early days of the Barra um, NFT Discord, like, what was that like? You know, what oh, was yeah. the vibe like back then yeah. for them to Talk be like, about it. <laughs> Talk you know, about it, it, you know. A barbell human being you have like yeah, the DJ yeah. super silly and then you have like the vc biotech serious and that's yeah, and then you yeah. get smoky yeah, but yeah and you're and right like what yeah. futurist philanthropist as well yeah futurist <laughs> philanthropist and at like the the build uh or <laughs> um mm-hmm. but uh yeah i'm curious of, like what you know those vibes must have been immaculate at the beginning of barrow chain um and you know with nfts the community is the product first and, you know, I love that whole, you know, chain of events. It's like, okay, then they're, they're talking to users, they're talking to their community. And it was like, wait, we can actually build a better chain. And that's how Barachain came about. And I remember seeing Barachain like early on. I'm like, what is this? Is this just another L1? And guys, it's not an, another L1. And if that test net launch proved anything, it's, you know, it's going to be a force to be reckoned with uh, this coming cycle. And I I forgot someone, I think it was like the same uh, a Dylan character, shout out Dylan, what he said. Shout out Dylan, yeah, know, shout out Dylan. If, if you want a meme coin and you want something with substance, like this is your perfect marriage in Barra Chain. Yeah. Because, you know, they, they meme so hard and they, they meme, also yeah. actually have the tech to back it. So it's kind of almost yeah. now it's like make memes coin great again situation. <laughs> the well-rounded ecosystem for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this was a great pod. Uh, we're going to do more of these things. And if you want to catch them, make sure you go hit that bell button. You subscribe right now. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Uh, give us a like. Make sure you follow us on all of our socials, uh, Twitter, TikTok, Telegram. If this video, if you're watching this on Twitter, make sure you retweet, you like, you share this, uh, get this out there. Uh, if you want to go for all our alpha on Frax, DeFi, everything in between, go to flywheeldefi.com right now. Uh, subscribe. You'll thank yourself later. And if you want to follow yours truly on Twitter, I'm DeFiDave22. I am at 0x capital underscore K. And we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.
Everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational purposes and is not an investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.